Well, we're continuing, as you've heard, this springtime uh, series. We're thinking about confronting the local gods, confronting the local gods. We're going to dive into Acts chapter 19, and uh, it's, a, it's a big story, so we're going to look at various verses uh, through this episode. Acts 19, verse 11. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantations saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this, but one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? <laughs> then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Verse 23, about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together, along with others employed in similar trades, and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business, but as you have seen and heard, this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. At this, their anger boiled, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. Verse 35, at last the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Verse 41, then he dismissed them and they dispersed. It's a question that um, I'm often asked because of trekking backwards and forwards between here and England. It's this driving thing, the which side of the road and all of that. Uh, here, of course, we drive on the right side of the road. And in England, we drive on the left-hand side of the road, God's side of the road. <laughs> Just kidding. And um, most of the time, I do okay with this. But one day, I was out driving with my wife, Kay, and I, I, uh, I'm driving along, and here's this guy coming straight at me. He's just heading straight at me. 
And I, I turned to Carol. I said, look at this guy. I said, He's, he must be drinking or something. This is ridiculous. And I, I muttered something. And Look at him. What's wrong with him? When's he going to move? And she said, honey, he's not been drinking. You're in America. You're on the wrong side of the road. And so I, I moved my car over to the correct side of the road. And as he went by, I, I waved at him. And he kind of waved back. <laughs> if we hadn't taken action, there would have been a, there'd have been a head-on collision, a problem. In Ephesus, there's a head-on collision. The the scholar Tom Wright, he describes Ephesus as a center of power, magic power, political power, religious power. And there is a collision happening between the power of God and the powers of darkness. Now, I need to immediately qualify that. You see, whenever some Christians think about spiritual warfare or the devil or whatever, they tend to have this picture in their minds of two co-equal forces colliding, the power of light with the power of darkness, and that they're kind of equal. That is wrong. The Bible makes it clear that God is the big, ginormous, mighty, powerful God. And the devil and his demons, they're a sorry lot, as one writer describes them, but there is power out there. It's more like this, the big power of God versus a minimized power of the enemy. But there was a collision happening in Ephesus, And it all centered around the temple of Artemis, the god Artemis or Diana. Uh, This is an artist's representation of what that temple looked like. It was was magnificent, 127 marble pillars rising 60 feet in the air, beautiful ceiling encrusted with gold and and jewels. And then inside the temple, this multi-breasted fertility god, Uh, called Artemis, supposedly fallen from the stars. Uh, That temple is gone. There's only rubble there now in Ephesus. Here is a a temple in Jordan. This is the remains of an Artemis temple that's been found in Jordan. So it's not the same one, but just to give us an idea of what this thing kind of looked like. And it's here that there is this power clash going on. What can we learn as we look at the story? First of all, Let's see, first of all, that there is unusual power here. God is demonstrating unusual power. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that he had merely touched, that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Notice that Luke says, unusual. Miracles not of an ordinary kind. In other words, this handkerchief thing was not regular practice. To be specific, they weren't actually handkerchiefs. A more accurate Greek uh, translation of the Greek would be, it's kind of gross, sweat cloths. Paul's sweat cloths that he used while he was working, they took those, they cut them up and they distributed them And uh, people were getting healed. Now, this is unusual, but it's not common practice. You ever watch Christian TV and the TV evangelist says, My friends, if you send me $50 right now and charge that to your credit card in Jesus' name. I've been practicing that. 
then I will send you a cloth that we have prayed over and there will be healing through it. I've got a problem with that. Number one, this was not general practice. Number two, Paul didn't sell them. He, they just took them. And number three, the TV evangelist is not sending out sweat. This is not usual practice. So what's going on here? Well, in the ancient world, there was a belief that if you touched something belonging to a godly person, you could experience the power that that godly person had. So what is happening here, everybody, is that God who is gracious, the God who comes running and wants to meet us, God uses that mechanism, faulty though it is, because he just wants to meet people. He's just being generous and kind. It doesn't mean that we should always practice this thing at all. But it also shows us that God sometimes does stuff outside of the box. I wonder sometimes whether we feel like we've got God all figured out. And then he does something and you go, wow. That's different. I mean, how did this revival start in this city? Was it because of Paul's preaching? No. I'll tell you how it started. A demon-possessed person beat up seven guys and sent them running naked. That's a pretty unusual missionary strategy, if I may say so. What's going on here? This big God is doing big God stuff. I, I want to share a story with you told it here before years ago that this story of what God did for my wife and I and our family is crazy and it offends me. I just want to tell you that. I mean, I love this story and I hate it because it's kind of offensive for reasons that I will explain. Many years ago, uh, our family was growing up. We were living in England. We had a small kind of house and we'd outgrown it and we decided that we we felt like we needed to see if we could get a, a larger house but we put our house on the market the British housing market was dead we were on the market for a year and no one even came and looked it was terrible and we couldn't find a house to buy one day our son was playing at a friend's house and we went over to collect him we went over to pick him up and we're sitting outside this rather nice house and there's a couple of trees by the entryway and I turn the engine off and suddenly all the birds in the trees, the trees were filled with birds, they all started singing. I mean, they went ballistic, you know, crazy, really loud singing. And I turned to Kay and I said, honey, listen to that. Listen to those birds singing. And she said, yeah, that's, that's what they do their occupation. I said, I don't know, there's something crazy about that. Anyway, nothing happened and the birds carried on singing. Richard came out, jumped in the car, we drove off. About a week later, I suppose, we had this, uh, in our church, we had this preacher come from Texas and uh, he's a very prayerful, godly kind of guy and he met with about 20 of us as leaders. He'd never met me or my wife before, didn't even know our names. And we're sitting out there and he suddenly, he, he's standing at the front and he, he looked at us, he said, you two. He said, is there anything I can pray with you about right now? And I tried to think of something really, you know, like spiritual. You know that moment, but I couldn't think of anything. And all of our stuff is spiritual anyway, so God's interested in all of it. So I said, well, I said, we're trying to buy a house and we're trying to sell our house. Could you pray with us about that? He said, sure. So he starts to pray, okay. 
And then suddenly he stops praying and he said, I've got a picture in my mind of a house that God is going to make available to you. And I'm like, ooh. And then he said this, and my wife is in this service today and she would testify to this. He said, he said, I can see a house that God's going to give you. And then he said, I can hear birds singing in the trees. And I'm like, I hear birds too. And they're all going, cuckoo. Then I remembered the house with the birds. But it's not for sale. I mean, what am I going to do? Go over there, kick the door in and say, get your furniture out, baby. We heard the birds. A couple of days later, the lady who lived in that house called my wife. She said, can our kids get together? She said, my husband got an unexpected promotion this week and we're moving out of town. Quick as anything, my wife said, are you selling your house? She said, yeah, we are. She said, okay, said, can we come over right now? She said, yeah, sure. So we get in the car. We put a blue flashing light on top of the car. No, we, didn't, we, didn't. we drive over there. It's a two-story house. We look around the ground floor. I looked at Kay. She looked at me. I said to the couple, I said, we want to buy your house. They said, you haven't even seen upstairs yet. I wanted to say, doesn't matter. I heard the birds. She said, well, you can buy our house. We agreed on a price. She said, but you have to sell yours by Friday because we've got to get out of town for this new job. We'll take it to a realtor on Monday, so you need to sell yours by Friday. (laughs) We've been on the market for a year. We come out of the house. Kay, woman of faith, she says, we're going to sell our house by Friday. I said, oh, look, there's a pig coming into land. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, the realtor calls, says, I've got a guy who wants to come look at your house. He comes, looks at our house. I show him around. He says, very nice, thank you. He leaves. Next day, the realtor calls back and says, he wants to come back and look again. I mean, I'm prayed up now. I am walk- I'm following him around the house. You know, this is the bathroom in Jesus' name. <laughs> Friday at four o'clock, one hour to go, we sell our house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Here's why the story offends me. I'm grateful. I've just, 20 minutes ago, over there, I was reading the prayer list of needs in Timberline. People battling cancer, asking for prayer for their marriages. Children in the oncology ward. I have to confess to you that when I tell the story, I feel guilty because you see, it's not just unanswered prayer that creates a problem, it's answered prayer because you kind of go, God, why'd you do this and you didn't do that? I don't know. And there's something inside me, I want to be honest about it. I look into the eyes of friends who have walked through tragedy. There is something to be honest to say, God, why'd you mess around with birds in trees and houses when you could have done that? I don't know. All I can say is admit the tension. But say, God broke out of the box for me.
Have we got him all locked up? Restricted? Secondly, there's mass confession and a fire here. Mass confession and a fire here. Many who, believe, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. This is crazy. Because everyone's talking about this stuff. And the word confess here is the word exomologio, which it means they weren't whispering their sins. Yes, I, I was slightly naughty. I committed a minor tax evasion. No, they are declaring their sins. This word exomologio appears in the ministry of John the Baptist. I mean, get this, people. Before John the Baptist baptized people, they yelled out their sins. I mean, that would make for a really entertaining baptismal service, wouldn't it? Wow. Hold him under for a while. I got baptized in water when I was 17, 1863. <laughs> this is terrible. I wrote a song for my baptismal service. It's terrible. Had about 37 appalling verses. I got a friend to sing it with me. He's in the key of G. I'm in the key of H. There is no H. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if God gave me that song, he just didn't want it. I mean, it was hideous. I went under the water and I kicked my legs up in the air as I went under the water. Drenched the front three rows. <laughs> there were elderly ladies with coloured hairs who looked like purple rats. <laughs> but I didn't confess anything. I'm not suggesting we adopt that as a practice. What I am saying is that there is a culture of honesty and openness that hits the church. And they confess, and then they burn stuff. They've got occult goods in their homes, and several million dollars worth of stuff goes up in smoke because they realize that there is an incompatibility between the stuff in their homes and their faith. Now, some of you are old enough to remember that phase that the church went through, particularly in youth groups, where, does anyone remember the record burnings we had? Records. Young people, there used to be these things called records. They were circular. They were made of vinyl. And you didn't download your music. You put this circular disc and the sound was communicated through a needle strategically placed on disc. It's fascinating technology. And I remember being in the youth group and the evangelist came and said, Some of you are listening to that rock and roll music. And next week, we want you to bring your records and we're going to burn them. So I did. All my albums. And some of them I needed to lose. Some of them, I wish I could get them back. <laughs> and some of it was good and some of it was stupid. You know, does anyone remember the backward masking thing? There was this idea that there were certain bands and Satan, satanic lyrics had been embedded Backwards. Does anyone, some of you are nodding. You remember that? There were two problems with that. Number one is not many people play their records backwards. It's detail, but an important one, I believe. And then I tried to do, I tried to test it out by playing a record backward. And all I got was... And then they went through a crazy phase where like certain children's toys were evil. My Little Pony... 
burn the pony. <laughs> now, this didn't affect me because I didn't own a My Little Pony. Some of it was silly. In fact, last night, just between me and you, last night a lady came up to me here. She said, you came to First Assembly 25 years ago. And she said, I lost my album collection and you led us in that. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Some of it's crazy, but is it possible that we've overreacted and there's stuff that needs to go? Not because we're under some legalistic trip, but because the life of Christ conflicts with that stuff. A preacher was walking through uh, a number of trees. It was springtime. And he noticed that many of the leaves on the trees had survived fall and winter. The wind had not shifted them. But then he noticed in springtime that suddenly this leaf fell from the tree. He thought it survived the winds. And the cold of fall and winter. Why now in springtime is the leaf coming away from the tree? There's no wind. And then he realized that in springtime, the sap rises in the tree. And therefore, there is a reaction of shedding the leaf. He called it, I love this phrase, he called it the expulsive power of a new affection. See, when, when you've got Jesus in your life, when the Holy Spirit is at work, there is this expulsive power of a new affection. And you suddenly realize, I, I don't want that stuff anymore. And you shed the leaf as a result of your decision, but at the impulsion of the Holy Spirit who is at work in you. Please know that at the end of this service, You'll notice that on your bulletin, there's a little deal on the bottom of the outline, a little piece of paper that we can fill in to say, I consign this to the fire. And we're going to have a time of response. In, in, the, in the 10 minutes and 45 seconds that we've got left, I, I want all of us to be saying, Holy Spirit, is this stuff in my home that shouldn't be in my home? Is this stuff that you want me to get rid of. We're going to respond. Thirdly, thirdly, there's confusion and rage here. Confusion and rage. Look at verse 28. Their anger boiled and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. And then verse 32. Inside the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. It's a riot. Some years ago, Ken and I went to a third world, two-thirds world country in Asia to shoot a film for Compassion International, the children's charity. We walked into situations of devastating poverty. We stopped in one village and the director said, let's film here. The camera guys got out. I'm saying my piece to the camera. A small crowd gathered. They weren't used to seeing cameras and they, they were obviously thinking maybe, you know, Tom Cruise is here. Maybe not. The crowd grew and grew rapidly. Suddenly there's 200 people there. And suddenly our director said, get in the van, pack up the cameras, we're getting out of here right now. I said, we haven't even finished filming this piece. He said, don't argue, get in the van. You see, he understood the language. The crowd was getting angry. 
Tragically, they saw white people with a camera and they thought paedophiles come to oppress their children. That's the tragedy of human trafficking. Paedophilia. And we got in the van. I remember my heart beating just at the thought that this crowd of 200, what, what could have happened? 25,000 people. Here is the theater. It's still there in Ephesus. You see those two guys in that, the center of there? I, I've stood there and, and, and tested out the acoustics of that theater. It's still there. 25,000 people. Can you imagine what it felt like? They had no trouble gathering the crowd because it's believed that the festival of Artemis was on where men came to get drunk and consort with prostitutes. It was easy to gather the crowd. They're angry. And they're not so much angry about the religion. They're angry about money. We should just be aware that this is not just happening historically in the Bible. Just yesterday I saw on Facebook a message from a friend of mine, Canon Andrew White. They call him the vicar of Baghdad. He's lost half his congregation. Killed. Uh, over the last couple of years. Just yesterday news of another village, mainly Christian village, taken by ISIS with terrible atrocities taking place. This is not just history. It's happening now. We need to pray, people, for the persecuted church. We need to speak up for the persecuted church. And I want to say this. As a guest in this great country, as a resident alien here, thank God for the freedom that we enjoy today to worship Jesus without fear of threat. Can anyone say amen or something? Please, please pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. Fourthly, there's misguided enthusiasm here. There's misguided enthusiasm. Look at what happens here. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul's, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Do you realize, if Paul had gone in there, that would have been the largest crowd of his ministry. Enthusiasm could have fueled an intention to say, I can't miss this opportunity. I've got to preach. Helpfully, there were people around him to speak into his enthusiasm and help him not take a decision that would have been the worst decision. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. You know, we don't just need people to speak into our lives when we're struggling with sin. We need to have people around us who can help us when we're enthusiastic and passionate so that we don't do the wrong thing misguided by our zeal. When I became a Christian, I tried to convert my parents. It was terrible. Hello, Mom. Hello, Dad. I am a Christian. You, sadly, are not. You're going to a lost eternity. 
have a nice day. If I'd have cleaned my room, they might have started to listen. Unbridled enthusiasm. Who can help us with that? Lastly, this. Number five, there's the depths of despair here, but unexpected help. The depths of despair, but unexpected help. Please see this before we bring this scripture up. The Apostle Paul is experiencing blessing. Supernatural power. City-shaking stuff. But then he writes to his friends in Corinth later. And most scholars believe that when he wrote the words that we're about to see, that he was referring to his time in Ephesus. Look at these words. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. I really want you to see this. Please don't miss this. He's in blessing. He's experiencing powerful supernatural stuff. And he's depressed. Blessing doesn't mean that we won't struggle emotionally. Blessing doesn't mean that there won't be difficult circumstances. I've met Christians and they battle depression and somebody has said to them, well, of course, if you, if you just had enough faith, you'd get out of it, wouldn't you? I think Paul had faith, don't you? I've said it before, I'll say it again. Some years ago, I spent a year in clinical depression. As a Christian leader, when I was depressed, not only did I feel bad, but there was an added bonus. I felt bad because I felt bad. I felt irrationally ashamed, and some of my Christian friends weren't that helpful. They'd previously been employed by Job, I believe. I wrote a book about it called Faith in the Fog. It was the hardest book I've ever written. Someone once said that writing is about sitting down and opening a vein. Some of us here today battle depression. I need to tell you that that doesn't make you a bad Christian. Doesn't mean that you've sinned and you're under judgment. Doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. If your physician says that you need medication, take it. If you break your arm, you put it in a sling. Why is it that we forget that our brain is an organ in our bodies that is affected by chemicals? Here is Paul. I'd like to suggest, ladies and gentlemen, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was depressed. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. The word is barrio which means pressure, from which we get the word barometer, Jesus is saying, I'm under this huge pressure. And it's classic, isn't it? He says he wants his friends with him. Watch him, and they fall asleep. He wants his friends. See, sometimes people say, well, of course, if you're depressed, all you need is Jesus. Well, that's hysterical. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had Jesus, but Jesus needed more than Jesus. You say, Really? Well, he wasn't just reading from a script when he said, I want my friends with me. 
Watch and pray with me. We need each other. And we need honesty. You know, some of you are looking at me right now. I can see and you're going, you were depressed? You're, You're a pastor. Ladies and gentlemen, Christian leadership is about setting an example, not projecting an image. Our task here is not to project an image. The together people. I can't even fake it. And here is blessing. Depression. Please feel strengthened. Please feel empowered if you struggle. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for trusting God when you felt like he's just not around. And there was unexpected help as well. Look at this. The city clerk quieted the crowd. He quieted them down enough to speak. We won't look at that whole verse. And then at the end it says, after he said this, he dismissed dismissed them. They dispersed. City officials, by the way, who kind of lent a hand. Kind of ties in slightly with our thank the cop thing. Thank the city officials who lend a hand. There's difficulty, there's struggle, but there's unexpected help as well. Why don't we pray together? Lord, we thank you because the life of Christ through grace is in us. We want to respond to what your Holy Spirit might be stirring in us. Stuff in our homes that doesn't belong there. We know it. Stuff in our lives. Patterns of behavior that we know it doesn't belong. And the sap is rising. And the life is rising. And we want to shed it. Help us.